Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furtan Dandia. In this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome back Angela Abide. Angela is a psychotherapist trained in internal family systems therapy who teaches her clients to become great self-leaders so they can manage their minds and emotions, relationships with others, and interactions in the world in healthy ways. In her practice, Angela specializes in men's issues and the specific challenges men face and also helps men understand the divine dance of the masculine and feminine so they can heal, grow, lead, and thrive. She's also the host of the Mission Manhood podcast, which I've had the honor to be on as a guest. And in this episode, Angela and I discuss how spirituality has been shown to reduce mental health issues. Uh, I was inspired to reach out to Angela to discuss this because I came across some research recently that showed people often struggling with mental health disorders were able to find reprieve and find a better handle on those issues through spirituality. Angela shares her personal experience with spirituality and we also discuss why spirituality is essential to have in one's life. Please find Angela on Instagram at Mission Manhood and if you could leave a five-star review at the end of the episode, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Angela, welcome back to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for coming on here. I've uh, enjoyed our conversations in the past and uh, I'm excited for this one. Uh, for listeners that probably haven't listened to the previous episode uh, that you came on, do you mind sharing a little bit about what it is that you do and, and where you're based for, for the listeners? Sure. My name is Angela Abide, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in Austin, Texas. And I also have a podcast called Mission Manhood Podcast. And I started that, you know, about a year and a half ago. And I've always been interested in masculinity. I grew up with two brothers. I have three sons. And I really enjoy working with men. And I just started to see, you know, my own curiosity about you know, what my kids need and then culturally kind of what's happening and the mm -hmm. clients I was seeing that would come in kind of discouraged and unsure about even how to be in this, this kind of new world. So I think that's where the interest started, but, um, that's, you know, what I'm passionate about and I love, uh, trying to help in that space. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And it, it yeah, I think it's a, good starting point for our conversation today too, for, for people not really knowing how to show up and, and where they are in life. Um, and there's all these messages we're constantly receiving on how to be, which can often be conflicting. Um, and, and then there's that fear of showing up as our true selves and then being rejected. Yeah. Is that thing you see in a lot of the work you do? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we talked about prior to hitting record, you know, we're so focused right now on our individual identity. And pr prior to this focus, to me, my goal was to, you know, shed a lot of the, the things that I was attached to as far as like, I am a white woman, mother, you know, all of those things that keep me compartmentalized. So when I sit down with you, who your life experience might be totally different, I'm mm -hmm. so identified with, with all the, the small 
identifying characteristics, but I do think that we have a shared consciousness. And when I tell people we are one, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And if I can get beyond my outer identity and get centered within myself, then we can have communion regardless of our outer experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. And uh, I found this, a friend taught me something recently. I, I went through a bit of an experience where I experienced racism and I was very upset and, and, uh, I was more upset because this person who was being racist was wearing a baseball hat with my favorite team on it. So, mm -hmm. um, my friend, after I expressed the whole story to my friend, he said, well, you had something in common with this person and perhaps you could have pointed that out. And I think that's, uh, and then I read what love is in a book by Eckhart Tolle and, and basically love is finding something in common uh, with other mm -hmm. people. And, and I think that's the whole aspect of us finding that shared purpose or something in common. And we do have something in common with everyone that we come across. And unfortunately we fail to see that at times and that impacts our ability to have conversation with people because we have assumed that this person's different based on the visible differences. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem we're seeing right now too, is, is there's a lot of divide and, and difference of opinions based on just what we see visually. Yeah. Yeah. I say that we're, we're so focused on the earth suit that we're not seeing, you know, the inner essence. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I'm sorry that happened to you. And that can be super painful when you're moving sort of in the, the spirit like inspired, you're just being, and you've worked really hard to get to that place where you can just be. And then all of a sudden someone calls attention to some exterior part of your existence. And it just like, it, it shakes you up as a woman that's happened to me before when I'm, you know, having this mind meld with someone. And then I get called back into either my age or my gender or whatever other sure. thing that they're seeing. And it's like so disappointing. And and hurtful. And I think you really have to get centered and kind of like minister to that little part of yourself that was affected by that, because, you know, there are parts of you that have experienced that, that, you know, it's, it's not a new thing. I'm guessing, you know, throughout life, we, mm -hmm. we get those little dings and those parts want to respond in the way they've always responded. They don't care about our new level of consciousness. So yeah. you have to really go back and work with those little parts and kind of get your system settled back down. But I totally agree with you. In fact, I wrote in my journal this morning that I think love is an ability to be in the here and now. And when I'm mm -hmm. in the here and now, I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not angry or I'm not operating out of my assumptions. And I'm not operating in the future where I kind of tend to be afraid. Um, I'm just right here with you now. And that's when I feel like that biblical notion of paradise or religious notion of paradise is in the here and now. And so yeah, ex regardless of our external circumstances, when we can inhabit the now, that's when we can really share um, love. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and I think a lot of the issues we see with depression or anxiety is because 
we're not focused on the here and now, you know, we're worried about some future event that we don't even know is going to happen or some future outcome that may not happen, but we, we get so anxious thinking about it, or, or we're so consumed by something that happened in the past that was probably not even our fault. Uh, we personalize it and we continue to ruminate about it and, and then, you know, have depressive thoughts and, and episodes. So I agree with you on that. And, and I think that leads into the conversation we wanted to have today around spirituality and mental health. And we've covered that to a certain extent, but what are your thoughts around, uh, that notion, just when you think about spirituality and mental health and how the two can go together? Yeah, I guess, you know, I've been on this earth in this earth suit for over half a century and it's been a journey of discovery and trying to understand like the nature of reality, like why am I suffering? Why am I miserable? Why am I and trying to get to a place where I can inhabit paradise more often than not. Nobody can stay there forever. Mm -hmm. And so I've come to some conclusions about that. And, um, you know, I was raised in a really, um, I don't want to say strict Christian home, but I guess serious. They were Christian. They weren't just Christian in name. They were serious about practicing their faith. And I took that and kind of ran with it. And, you mm -hmm. know, cause I was like a real goody two shoes. I was very religious. Um, mm -hmm. I had a lot of rules and it, it has kind of evolved from there, but I never, I I started to turn away from religion, but I never turned away from like the the pillars of my faith. I I consider myself still to be a Christ follower, and there is mm -hmm. so much wisdom. I was raised as the Bible is my wisdom book, and so mm -hmm. I haven't really changed from that. I I un, I I seek to understand it, and mm -hmm. but I'm not religious in the sense that I can't make space for somebody else's experience. Like right. if somebody comes to me and says they're Buddhist, for example, I'm like, okay, tell me what you know. Tell me, mm. tell me what your wisdom book says. Tell me what your practice helps you do. And mm. I think from that perspective, we can learn from each other. Right. And um, so having said that, I feel like I know for me what works, some yeah. things that absolutely are pillars in my life. And I have to figure out how to communicate that in a way that doesn't offend someone's ego. So mm. I might say God to one client who has come to me and said, I want a Christian counselor. And the, literally the very next person that comes in has told me I'm not religious and I don't want you to talk about religion. Mm. So I say the same things to that person, but I say things like universe or life or light instead. And it's literally the same conversation. And I think sometimes our ego and our preconceived notions and our defense systems get in the way of us being helped because we we make everybody behave in a way that's going to make us comfortable. So um, I try to let my clients know, hey, I'm a very spiritual person. And if I'm going too far down that road and you're feeling uncomfortable, I'd like for you to let me know that. And yeah. so it seems to kind of work out. No, yeah, that's that's a great uh, approach and, and advice. I think part of it too, you know, a very similar experience to yourself. I, you know, I grew up raised uh, Muslim. My parents were pretty strict. And, and I think 
part of the approach was very, it was like, you know, if, if you don't do these things, you're going to get punished. So that creates a lot of angst and, and rebellious behavior amongst, especially if you're younger being told that, oh, you're going to get punished. Like, well, okay. Um, but there's a lot of judgment that comes with it too. And then shame, obviously you try to hide a lot of the things that you're, you're shameful of. And, and I don't think religion actually preaches that. Um, there's that sense of seeking forgiveness and and mercy that I at Mm -hmm. least embody in my life. But, um, but you know, I did step away and pushed a religion away because of certain experiences in life and, and how it was preached to me. Um, but. Coming back now, I think I do see the value of having that spirituality or, or spiritual sense in your life and, and um, having acceptance for things that happen in life, knowing that there is something else larger than myself going on, <laughs> larger than all yeah. of us, um, and, and surrendering to that. And, and I think that brings about peace, and at least it has for me. And, and at least even in the work I looked at and the research I did around spirituality and how it improves uh, the positive emotions people can experience, which in turn helps with psychological well-being. Um, and, and some of the things are, are from religion, the idea of gratitude, hope, forgiveness, compassion, empathy. These are all things that we can embody in our lives and experience positive emotions. Um, so, so when, when you're taking that spiritual approach with your clients, what are the things that you're helping them, uh, adopt or, or practice to help with their struggles or challenges? Yeah. Um, first of all, I wanted to say that, sorry, my nose is just itching, um, <laughs> that hold on just a minute. think um what you're saying is there are things like in our religious traditions or from religious traditions that are like universally beneficial mm-hmm. and one of those like for christians is jesus or christ talked about the fruit of the spirit and you'll they'll you'll know them by their fruit and the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness gentleness goodness self-control, faithfulness. Mm. And if I had any client that came in my room and said, help me out. And I'm like, okay, so do you want more of these things in your life? They would all say, yes, that's what I'm looking for. But if I say, hey, in the Bible, in verse such and such and so and so, it says this, they're going to be so offended that they, you know, um, can't hear me anymore because I've, Mm -hmm. I've mentioned that. So I think that's challenging. And again, it's kind of the same things I'm teaching and telling. It's just that I have to figure out a different way to do it. But for me, the main thing, and this is something that religion doesn't really teach. Religion says, here's our set of rules. And if you do it, you're good. And if you don't, you should be ashamed of yourself. So Mm -hmm. to your point, you have people that are not doing it or they're like, Christian in name only or Muslim in name only or secular Jews or whatever. And I think those might be some of the happiest people because they have the traditions, they get to have the feasts and festivals, you know, unless they are ashamed all the time. Um, 
But then you have some very devout people who try very hard to live by all the rules, but it doesn't seem to ever be enough. That you mm-hmm. never can do it enough. And that's the side I ended up on. I wasn't a rebellious person. I took that verse that says, be perfect as God is perfect. I took that very seriously. And any way that I wasn't perfect, I would judge myself and berate myself. And, you know, I would think about, I would really anthropomorphize God. And for people who don't know what that means, it's like I'm assigning human characteristics to God. So I'm picturing God as a male who's displeased with me. Mm-hmm. And so that's a terrible way to live. Right. And I think that's the shadow side of religion. So how I help people is to try to understand how to manage their mind and their emotions and get centered in that deeper level of consciousness. And like some Christians, not all Christians, call that Christ consciousness. Um some Christians, if you say Christ consciousness, they think you're a new age freak. You've gone off the deep end. So it gets so complicated, you know, mm-hmm. with everybody's beliefs and beliefs. And this might take the listeners who are very devout in their faith a minute to process, but your belief doesn't mean it's true. It's just mm-hmm. what you've got so far. Like based right. on the knowledge I've acquired so far, this is what I believe. And Mm -hmm. I think the proper way to be is to always be open to new information and new downloads that will nuance that belief and help you. And that's what maturity is all about. So I guess what I'm saying is I think religion is sort of a very immature belief system. And as people mature and grow and they want help learning to manage their mind and emotions and getting to that deeper level of consciousness so that they can have peace and they mm. understand that it's not just the set of rules that's important. It's it's my heart. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things you touched on, I think, is uh, something a lot of people struggle with. When they hear God, they immediately have this picture uh, very similar to what you described. And I think that can be very um, aversive for people, just having that image. And immediately, it's easier for, for people to shut down. When, as soon yeah. as they hear the word God, because because they get this image and it's not what they believe or not what they think life should be. And and then to your point, there's no more openness. There's like, I'm not mm-hmm. willing to listen to anything now coming out of this person's mouth because yeah. I've formed a judgment of where they're coming from. And to your point, I think having that openness and maturity to not only hear other people out, understand that maybe there's something of value and, and for me what I've started to realize is I don't know anything right I mean I may yeah. know a little bit but there's so much going on around us that we have zero awareness and and this is something you and I have talked about uh previously as well is we because of our life experiences our perspective is almost programmed a certain way Right. And, and it's distorted in a way. So your, your perspective on things is going to be completely different than mine because of our life experiences. And we often shut out other information that doesn't align with our views. And then it's hard for us to be open to other people's ideas and thoughts. And, um, so I think taking that step back and having the humility to recognize that we don't know everything 
can yeah. be helpful at times. And I think part of the reason why people struggle is, is around, and I say this because I've also experienced this, so I'm not saying it out of judgment, but there's this arrogance around, um, I know everything or, um, th these rules do not apply to me. And I think that could lead us astray as well. Uh, cause I know there was a time in my life where there was arrogance around my own capabilities, um, and, and feeling like, oh, I'm in control of my environment. And, and that's, that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. I, I just made a video yesterday about, um, that non-dual consciousness and that it's part of our survival system that we want to just quickly judge everything. Yes, no, right, wrong, black, white, um, for, against. And so that's where it's coming from. If somebody comes in and they're not a religious person and I accidentally mention the Bible and they just, they've all, the judgment comes down immediately. They can't trust me anymore. And on the flip side, you know, it happens if I say universe instead of God. I've had people, you know, come after me like, that's disrespectful. That's not what, you know, that's God to me. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, you know, in the Bible, God called himself a lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus called himself a lot of different things in the Bible. I don't think God cares, you know, um, what you call him. Just like, I don't care if you call me mom, mother, Angela, whatever. It's fine. You know, whoever I am to you, call me that. And mm -hmm. um, I I think you had shared with me um, a podcast with um, uh, Matthew, is it Pejo and Jonathan, Pajot. Jordan Peterson, Pejo. Yeah. yeah. It, he made a point in there that kind of goes along with what you're saying, that it's so arrogant for somebody to dismiss the Bible. He was using the Bible because that's what they were talking about. When you haven't taken the time to learn the language, you're mm -hmm. so offended by religious people that you're taking this ancient wisdom book and writing it completely off without taking the time to understand it. Yeah. And that's very arrogant. Mm -hmm. But the flip side is also true. You have so many religious people that believe they understand and know the Bible when they haven't taken the time to understand the language the Bible was written in. And that's also very arrogant and it causes a lot of problems in the world. So you have the extremes of belief. One, I will not believe. And one, yes, I believe. And I know exactly what I believe. And I'm going to enforce this belief on you. And in the chaos of where we find ourselves in the country right now, that's mm -hmm. a lot of people's solution. We got to get back to God. We got to mm -hmm. reestablish our Christian nation. And what they're really saying is we want to clamp down and do the exact same thing the other side is doing and make everybody the same and make everybody behave and go along with these rules, it's yeah. never going to work. It's just the pendulum is swinging back to the other side and there's going to be misery and suffering over here, just like there is when the other side tries to do it. So whichever side you're on, those extremes of belief causes misery and suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Thank you for sharing that. And, and I think what, one of the things I've gathered from religion is at least this is my interpretation, so I don't want to offend anyone, but it's religions like, okay, well, these are the certain set of rules that you should operate your life around, but also be open and try to seek knowledge. And for me, that's important. So, you know, I've got 
certain rules that I live my life according to because I know it makes my life easier and um, I don't create unnecessary suffering in my life. But at the same time, I'm also open to learning and understanding better. And these texts that you've referred to, they're not easy to understand. They're very complex. So if anyone comes and tells me, oh, I understand all of it, immediately I'm skeptical because I'm like, well, no, it's very complex. There's a multidimensional aspect to it that we don't even fully grasp. And, and to your point, if someone says, oh, out of arrogance that, you know, these texts are nonsense, or if someone says, I understand it fully and whoever doesn't, I'm against them. These extremes do not work. And I think there needs to be a balance between humility and, and openness to, to hear what other people are saying and, and recognizing that again, coming back to what I said earlier, we don't know anything really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any thoughts around that? Yeah. I think what you were just saying, um, I've thought a lot about, um, you know, how we say women and men, and it's just this conglomeration of an idea in our head. And in the men's movement work, there's a lot of men who use like feminist mm. and, um, that, that, so if I say something that doesn't necessarily jive with what you believe, it's easy to stick that label on me. Like if I have a um, legitimate offense or a, a legitimate concern, oh, well, you must be a feminist. It's easy to to dismiss people for that. And so, I mean, that that little example applies, you know, across the board to a lot of different kind of relationships. But what I was trying to figure out is let's stop looking at men as a glob and like separate it out. So I started thinking about levels of maturity and what I've come to realize is you have to have this certain energy to leave your home, your family of origin. And it's naturally very arrogant and you have to have that or else you would never have the fuel that you need to break away from that system. Yep. So I think one of the problems is people stay in that, what I call the sun state too long. And so mm. they we have a lot of arrogant men who, you know, because I'm a man, you know, I should get respect and all that. Well, that's a very lower level of maturity. And what usually happens is men naturally move when they maybe have a baby or they develop, they take on some responsibility. They move kind of in a brother. So they're more concerned, you know, with other people. But really, that stage is just an accumulation of knowledge. And for survival mm -hmm. reasons, it's important to be right. Um, you have to learn how to manage money. You have to learn how to do lots of things. You have to learn how to care for an infant or whatever task life has presented it with you. And for that reason, you can be very judgmental. Mm -hmm. So if you never move away from that, then you're going to get stuck there. And yeah. so between those two levels, I feel like that's our crisis right now mm. is we have men who are failing to advance to father. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying right there is the hallmark of the father is all that you've known and all that you're so proud of. You get to a point where you go, I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. That's when wisdom can start to blossom and bloom. And that's when you become like this generative king. You're on the way to become 
a generative king because the hallmark of being a king is humility. And that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to people. But how can I advance? How can I really love and care for people if I don't understand where they're hurting? If I don't understand my weaknesses, if I'm not allowing people to show me where my blind spots are, mm-hmm. if I'm not able to say to my daughter that I've told, don't have sex before you're married, if I'm Christian, and she comes yeah. in the door pregnant, what am I going to do? Mm. That's when you can either stay an arrogant um, brother and kick her, sorry, arrogant brother and kick her out of the house, or life just delivered a dagger to your heart and you've died to your former self and you're becoming a loving father. Whatever mm-hmm. you're bringing me, I'm going to work it out with you because I love you. Right. So. Yeah. 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 And, and, and one of the things you mentioned there around breaking away, I think it's so important. Uh, and a lot of the archetypical stories were based on that, where these saints and sages, they all kind of broke away from the the ideas they grew up with to go discover for themselves and get that knowledge and i think it's so important and because the focus was on men for men to do that because you know you're growing up in a household you you are inundated with the similar ideas and perspectives and you don't recognize what else is out there until you don't go out on your own and i think it's Mm -hmm. so important to have that experience and gain that knowledge that um that is also out there for, for, for men. And the idea of suffering came up earlier too. And I think a lot of people have this fear of suffering. So, so they create these things in their life to avoid suffering, whether it's having people around that are of superficial nature or some forms of addiction. Mm-hmm. to prevent suffering. And one of the things I like to say with suffering is it's, it's going to happen, right? And there's an aspect of voluntary suffering or involuntary suffering, and you have to choose which one you want. But with voluntary suffering, you actually have more agency. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot in that, that statement you just made. And one thing before I say something about suffering is that was a perfect example that you gave of when you're in your father's house, so to speak, your mother and father's house, there's all these rules. And to me, that's religion. And yeah. so if we're living in a perfect society, perfect, if we're treating our children in a in a way that we should, I think what we do when they get to a point where they've earned the right to leave They've shown us, they've proved to us that they know what they're doing enough. We tell them, go and figure out what you believe. Take what works for you and then go and establish your own thing. You know, you're accountable to God, your idea of God now. You're not accountable to us anymore. And I think if we would do that and give people permission, it's like you have the structure that's so beautiful that really helps people in those moments of suffering that you can you know, go to the altar and light the candle and talk to the priest. You have that, but you also have the freedom to go on your journey and discover God. And you can say, who is God? And learn that for yourself. And I think both are so important, but we don't feel comfortable trusting people to do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we 
kind of force them to continue to surrender or submit to our rules and regulations. But yeah, suffering is, I think that's part of what's wrong in our society today is we're so focused on the best version of people's lives through social media. And we don't get a sense that other people are suffering. We have a very low tolerance for suffering. We're not teaching children that suffering is part of the cycle of life. I mean, look around you. The trees bloom, the trees die, the leaves die, they shed. It's just part of life. And the truest thing that I can think of is this too shall pass. So when you're happy and things are going well, the sky's blue, this too shall pass. Tomorrow the sky might be gray. I might break my toe. My car might not start. Yeah. It is. It is yep. what it is. And when we have that depth of consciousness, we can stay steady through the suffering. And the beautiful thing about it is we always ha- have a gift. There's always something we can learn through it if we can just stay with it. Mm-hmm. And um, those are the things that we really miss out on when we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So People who have religious trauma, for example, they want to completely do away with religion. But then all those beautiful, deep stories that are teaching you about the nature of reality and how to overcome suffering. And even the message of Christ is suffer, die, live in the tomb for a while in the dark night of the soul, and then rise to new life. Mm -hmm. And anybody that's honest can tell you that that's the cycle of life. I'm going through something really difficult, even trying to finish my degree at school. Yeah. You know, I'm dying to myself and my desires and what I want to do. And I'm pouring it all into this. And I'm in this dark night. And then it's over. And I'm I'm a new person now. I have a degree. I'm somebody different, but I made the proper sacrifices to get to this new life. And that is the story of life. You suffer, you make the proper sacrifices, and you you get to a place, you level up, so to speak. Right. And that's what we lose out on when we forbid people to talk about religion. And Yeah, yeah. And and, and to your point, it, it's the seasons, right? We all go through these seasons in our lives. And, and if we have this resistance to it, then we're only prolonging that suffering. But the second we're able to step into it and accept it, it's a lot easier. And, and for me, it's it's funny, like we're getting snow here the last couple of days and there's so much angst around it. And, and, you know, even though we had great weather leading up to it, but that's the nature, right? The trees to your point are dying and the leaves are dying, but they're going to bloom again. And that's what life is. You have these seasons of suffering only, uh, to have, you know, you, you get broken down so you can have breakthroughs. And, and that's how you blossom. And there's an aspect of resilience too that people, because they avoid the suffering, they're never really able to build inner or internal resilience. And when we are, when we do face difficult situations, whether it's social or emotional challenges, uh, which we will experience, right? And we try to protect our children nowadays for, from that. The real world isn't like that. Real world is full of challenges. And if we don't have that internal resilience, we're not able to deal with those situations. 
Yeah, definitely. I don't know about you, but when I meet clients, most of the time, by the time somebody has taken the time to research, make the call, make the appointment, come in, it's because they're suffering to a level that they realize they're out of options and they need help. And this is going to sound kind of cold, but the way I look at that is they've suffered enough. They're ready. And they're ready to change their mindset. They're ready to do anything to get to the other side of that suffering. But it is true that occasionally I'll have a client come in and I'll, I won't even think it consciously, but I know it's true. I mean, I'm like, not like making a judgment on them, but it's like they haven't suffered enough. They're not ready. They're not ready to make the sacrifice to move to that new life. They are still like in the midst of their suffering and they keep trying to put it outside of themselves. Like if those people would change their behavior, if that person would change, if that circumstance would change, then I would be okay. And just recently I had somebody that we spent the whole hour talking about all the different people who were misbehaving. And so at the end I said, look, I get that that's really difficult, but in this room, it's just you and I. And I think that we can start here in your heart and then Mm -hmm. it'll go outward and affect all of your relationships. And they just looked at me like I haven't heard anything that that they just said, you know. Yeah. And it reminds me, there's a story in the Bible of um, Jesus was walking around and this guy comes up to him and he's called the rich young ruler in the Bible. And he saw something in Christ that was so appealing to him. He's like, I want what you have. How can I get this thing? And Jesus just looked at him and said, well, you can go sell everything you have and come follow me. And it says in the Bible, the man went away sad. Mm. That is exactly how I felt with that client that day. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm saying is the proper sacrifice in this situation is for you to change your heart. Mm. And that's like, I can't do that. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not willing to do that. So the person went away sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, I mean, there's tons of stories around that and even stoic philosophy kind of focuses on we can't really control others the only thing we can control is how we react or or how we choose to show up and i think there's people it's really hard for people to wrap their head around that because it means they have to take responsibility yeah and and it's easier to blame others than to take responsibility for our own selves and unfortunately, and, and and that's to your point, until you haven't suffered enough, you're not willing to take responsibility for yourself. And that's where the most freedom and agency lies, because now we're in control. Uh, regardless of what's going on around us, it shouldn't affect us because mm-hmm. we're taking responsibility for how we're going to show up. And there's so much power in that. And I agree with you. I see that with a lot of people too. A lot of them want to change their lives. They want to set goals because everyone else is doing it. But it's like, well, that's not going to help. That's not going to make a difference for you just because everyone else is doing it. You need to believe internally within yourself that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's something you want to do. You want to take that responsibility. And until you haven't suffered enough, and you're not willing to say enough is enough. I'm going to make a change here. It's hard to stick with it. 
Yeah. And part of it is the terror, the absolute terror of learning to override your, like that survival system and allowing yourself to see. Because if I say to a client, well, this transformation is going to start within you. Oh my God, you're going to force me to look at the dark closet. You're going to force me to open that closet and examine the shadow side of myself. I don't want to see that. I've had people say to me, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about, you know, yeah. that person who's offending me. And so it takes so much cur courage. And I really respect and admire my clients who are willing to just come in and say, I'm ready. I have yeah. gotten to a point where I'm not functioning. It's not working. What do you have? How can you help me? And those are the people that, I mean, I'm just so proud of them. And at the same time, I know that they're committing to a lot of work. There's no magic formula. That's another thing about like social media, all these accounts, they've maybe read a book or they've gone to a retreat. So they have a formula now that they will charge you a couple of thousand dollars to teach you their formula. I mean, that might help a little bit. It might get you to the next point. But I mean, ultimately, nobody avoids the work. Nobody mm -hmm. does. Yeah. You get to an example from my own life is I've been playing the guitar for a while and singing, and I really enjoy it. And it's one of the things in my life that brings me a lot of joy. But I kept cheating it. And I would just move my capo up and down instead of learning the harder chords. You can kind of cheat it a little bit. And yeah. just like I was saying about the Bible, I wasn't taking the time to learn the language of music. I was just wanting to sound good and look good. And so just recently, I got um, a guy to agree to give me some lessons. And he said, look, if you don't learn F, you've maxed out on how far you can go with music. I mean, if you just want to sit around the campfire and play a few little songs in G, great. Everybody will think, wow, she knows this Christmas songs. But if you want to have a community of musicians, if you want to be able to come into a room and sit with people, you're going to have to learn the language of music and you're going to have to push through and make yourself learn the F chord. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, I've just like gotten the biggest spiritual lesson ever from this. And that's exactly how we do life. We keep trying to cheat the system. We're not surrendering to life. We're saying, okay, well, I, this way is working for me. I'm just going to keep doing it this way. Right. Everybody gets to a point where you can't advance any further without doing the shadow work. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that story. And, and I think with the shadow work too, is, is there's an aspect of transformation that you mentioned and that transformation doesn't necessarily happen until we're willing to, you know, let that ego die and that whole concept of ego death where you do transform and and there's obviously different stories around it and you can argue the, the concept of resurrection is somewhat are, along those lines as well is going through that ego death and, and looking at things differently and to your point you know people have these formulas or they feel like they can punch down on people and make them feel shameful yeah. to bring about change but I think there's, again, it comes back to like meeting people where they are and having that level of compassion for them because everyone's stories, even though there's commonalities, everyone's story is different and where they came from or what they went through. So uh, that kind of leads into the whole stigma, even around therapy, because people are like, well, my belief system's different than 
potentially the therapist I'm going to see, or they may think my story is like, I sh should have nothing to complain about. And, and I think as therapists too, on the other end, we should demonstrate openness and, and compassion and, uh, empathy towards, towards clients. Yes. And I, I think that is something that's so one of the really, um, toxic side effects of what we're currently doing by focusing on identity. So as a white woman, um, I, I had a, a child who was very sick for a long time and I was very involved in some community things. I was very much trying to establish a community of um, like race relations. I was very involved in concerned about that. And I would show up to a meeting and I was like maybe going through the worst day of my life and my child was so unstable and I didn't know. But I was not allowed to share that or say that because I've already been labeled lucky, you know, and that's just yeah. a tiny example. But I think like if you're um, it, it gets really complicated because you you don't know who trumps, you know, which thing trumps whatever. And I've actually had people come in my office and they're sitting there and they say something from their heart and immediately their, their brain takes over and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I really should be grateful. Mm. And I, I have to stop them and say, look, in these four walls, all of your parts are welcome here. And mm. every part of you has a voice and is going to be honored and respected. So your job in here is to tell me how this part feels mm -hmm. and how that part feels. and that's how we can learn to manage that and observe that and not shame our own parts. It's okay if I feel a certain way. What am I going to what actions am I going to take around that feeling? That's mm -hmm. where I have a little control. Right. I can't control that I feel resentment. I can sit with that part and try to figure out why do I feel resentment? And then I can say, "You know what? I get what you're feeling, but this is how I'm going to act in this situation." Right. So yeah. And, and yeah, that resonates for me too, because I, I think I carried a lot of shame and guilt for feeling certain things because I was like, well, I shouldn't be feeling this and, you know, things are so good. I should be grateful. But I've also had to look at things a little bit differently and, and accept the fact that I'm still in this human body, having the human experience and I will have these feelings and there's nothing wrong with it. I should label these feelings and I should allow myself to have that experience. But it doesn't mean that I get to use that as a weapon, as long as exactly. I'm able to give myself that compassion and space to, to have those feelings and talk about them. But there's nothing wrong with having those feelings. It's, it's how we respond to them that could be wrong or right. But yeah, it's okay to yeah. have these feelings because we are still having the human experience. Yeah. And not only is it okay, I mean, that's just how we're designed, I think. And, you know, I tell people, it's like, what, what I'm trying to get through to with all of my clients is you're driving the bus from self. You're a great self-manager. You're a great parent. You're a good father to yourself and you're a good mother to yourself. You provide structure for yourself and you provide nurture for yourself. Now behind you on this bus is every part of you that was ever formed mm -hmm. in reaction to something on the outside. They are never going away. 
You're never going to kick them off the bus. It's your job to learn how to manage them. So if I'm driving my bus and something comes into my consciousness that reminds my three-year-old of something that it experienced, it's going to rush up the aisle and try to take over and start driving. Right. And if I've done a good job learning to manage, I can say, I don't need for you to do that for me right now. And sometimes it's going to be so intense and severe that I'm going to need to pull over and let that inner child get up in my arms. And I'm going to say, let me tell me what's going on for you right now. And I immediately need to go into self-care mode. And that might look like going to your car at work, going to a bathroom stall. If you feel yourself getting overwhelmed and you know it's leading nowhere good, you can right. take that moment and do like a little soul rescue. But most of the time when you've worked it for a while, you can say, I, I am perfectly capable of dealing with this. I have parts that know exactly what to do. And this that I'm experiencing is not what you experienced. Mm -hmm. And later on, we can go there and I can think about it, but I can't do that right now because I have a job to do. Right. So I can stay centered and grounded and I can manage my inner system. But then later that evening, I might get a glass of wine or a beer and sit on the deck and go, okay, let's go there. What was that about? Mm -hmm. Why did that cause me so much fear? And so I've, I'm doing the work to keep all of my parts like nurtured and feeling cared for and loved so that they trust me. And they're not always trying to take over and drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that analogy. It's so important. And that's the whole concept of internal family systems that Carl Jung talks about too. And being aware of those. Um, but yeah, Angela, I'm being mindful of time here. Thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank you for being so open. Um, but yeah, for listeners that do want to find you, um, how can they do that? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Mission Manhood, and the podcast, Mission Manhood podcast, can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, I'm also, uh, my email is Angela at AngelaAby.com. So if somebody had a question or had something they would love to see a video about, I, I really enjoy interacting with people, and I'd love to hear from you. Okay, well, thank you again for coming on here and having this conversation with me. Yeah, I really appreciate you making the space for it. And I mean, there's nothing I'd rather do than talk about these kind of topics. And I appreciate you, what you're doing, and also just for sending me that, that podcast episode. That was amazing. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again, and until next week.